Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. White Sox. And like Earth, uh, Planet White Sox is a, it's a challenging place. It's a troubled place. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, but welcome. Make yourselves at home. Uh, there's a reason you're here, and it is to uh, check in uh, on the voice of the fan. Let's just call him the voice of the fan. It's Trooper Galactus, the, the star and centerpiece of Planet White Sox. Uh, Trooper, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for putting it together, Brett. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself necessarily to speak for, I wouldn't want to think I speak for anybody else, but I can, I can only vent my own frustrations and provide my own hopes for the future of this team. Cussing as the voice of the fan at Super Galactus. Well, uh, let's face it, it's by popular, by SB Nation demand, we have Planet White Sox. Uh, so let's run through while we can. Um, so what's been going on? And we haven't heard from you in a little bit. Uh, and so let's talk about the, uh, oh, I don't know, the pacemaker elephant in the room. It is uh, Tony La Russa 
uh, has departed the team, is sort of back with the team. The team takes off without him. Several comments from several different players alluding um, somewhat directly or at least obliquely to a little bit of different air in the clubhouse and just a different attitude. Sure, when your back is somewhat against the wall going into September, why not just go out and have fun? But still, maybe it needs to be said, and Miguel Cairo is the guy who said it. Uh, this is something um, you, along with <laughs> many of us, have pressed since the hire, and that is the sooner we are rid of Tony La Russa, the, the better the prospects for the Chicago White Sox. But uh, how you been taking it in? Uh, what's your assessment of the current uh, power dynamic situation? Well, it's just validation yeah. because we've been saying most of this season, we said it when he was hired, that this was not a good move, that this was stupid, that this was there were too many things that were bound to go wrong and very little that we could expect to go right with the hiring of Tony La Russa. And we've been saying all year that the team has been playing dead and that the one thing that the White Sox could do since they couldn't make any big trades, they couldn't make any big additions. They didn't have any big prospects coming up that were going to help out. Like the one thing that they had the power to do was get rid of La Russa. And, (laughs) Just just to try and get some sort of spark out of this team, because we had that, that we did like that poll where I, I don't remember if it was you or I that was the deciding vote on who would you get rid of, Jerry mm, uh, right. on or Tony. And I said, Tony, because that's the one thing you could get a spark out of this. Like you could yeah. change the fortunes of this team right now yeah. by getting rid of Tony. Yeah. And that's largely happened. Um, and it's somewhat anecdotal. You can't sit here and say sure. it's directly the result, but it's hard to ignore when the team actually doesn't seem as lifeless as it did, are all the same flaws still there? Yes. You yeah. still see the same, the same gaps on defense. You still <laughs> see the same absent minded base running sometimes. And the offense like today, uh, like just yeah. disappear for stretches at a time. But at the same time, you've seen a motivated team taking the field. Yeah. They have not seen for any significant stretch of time all season. And, it's hard to think that a part of that, a component of that is not the fact that Tony was completely gone sight unseen for a while and going lo and behold, the instant he comes back for the game in Oakland, even though he's not in the dugout with them, <laughs> like the instant, just his presence, just seeing like, him aura. <laughs> it's just casting a miasma over the entire park. There was a Larissa stink on the diamond. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah, and listen, these weren't um, these weren't cupcake games either. I mean, this is a West Coast trip, which is always a challenge, no matter who you're playing. Um, you know, okay, Oakland, but uh, you know th- that was a strong trip, and that was the that was the bulk, and that was the meat of uh, of his of his absence. And you know, the team turned it around in a number of ways. Though you point out the, the same scars are there, but you know they're sort of rounding up rather than rounding down, which they've been doing for you know the the, the first five months of the season. But we've never said that this team wasn't talented. Yeah. We know these players yeah, that's are That's the problem. And and the fact that they weren't playing up to their talent, we've known their flaws. Like mm-hmm. we know that like Tim Anderson swings at everything, mm-hmm. right? We know we know some of these guys are not smart base runners. We know Yasmani Grandal couldn't run if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. But we've never seen them play like with any sense of urgency or any it just looks like a team that got the talent to get the job done and paper over their flaws, but they just didn't have the motivation to do so. Mm-hmm. And only now are we kind of seeing them actually 
actually like capitalize on the positives of their talent and allowing them to get past the, the, their, their weaknesses. One B or maybe one A in the revitalized uh, White Sox team. That's actually had a nice stretch of games um, in spite of what happened uh, uh, in game two against Colorado uh, is uh, Elvis Onrus, who is a guy that you, uh, had lobbied for the White Sox to acquire. It's sort of interesting, and I, I'd be curious to know how they may have tried to pursue him actually in trade rather than just picking him up uh, for nothing. But uh, he's a guy that you had a sense could uh, play a role positively on this team. And again, that's a, a, another bit of a validation for your instinct there. Uh, I mean, you probably could not have imagined it going as well as it as it even has with uh, Andres and the White Sox. Oh no, I didn't see him hitting like he's hitting. Like he's, I think he's got like the same slugging percentage as Eloy Jimenez or something. It's, it's ridiculous what he's doing, but I wanted to get him because at the time Anderson was on his first IL stint Mm -hmm. and we didn't, it looked like he was going to be out for a while because they put him on the IL. This is a team that like always waffles (laughs) on the guys on the IL and has terrible roster, man. (laughs) And they put him on the IL right away. So I was like, man, he's going to be out a while. And I thought Andrews was going to be, there were two components to it. It was, I thought Andrews would be a good pickup in that he provided them depth that would prevent them from having to constantly play Leary Garcia. Cause I, I don't mind having Leary Garcia on the team. I do mind having to see Leary Garcia constantly and mm-hmm. playing a pl- prominent role on the team. And I thought Andrews was at least a competent hitter and a competent fielder that could at least hold the line until Anderson could come back into the lineup and that they wouldn't have to rush Anderson back with a guy like Andrews in the lineup, which he, and he's at a minimum that like you, you see a guy who's a capable enough defender. And I mean, even when he was on the A's and he wasn't a bad or I think he still had an OPS plus like above 90. He wasn't a good right. hitter, but it wasn't terrible. But the other part of that trade was also, Andrews was the cost of being able to acquire, uh, I believe it was Blackburn and Pinder in that trade as well, where if you take on Andrews's money and take that off their hands, then that might make yeah. the cost of guys like of Pinder and mm-hmm. uh, Blackburn a bit more affordable for a farm system that is still struggling to produce value. Yeah. So. Um, which it, we really could use, uh, <laughs> you know, another star pitcher and another reliever right now. Because uh, that, that trade was not about adding star power, though. It was about right. adding and Andrews's depth. Even And now we're discussing, we're finally having that top, that discussion we've been wanting to hear all along, Brett. What happens when Tim Anderson comes back? Because we've got too many good players available <laughs> and we don't know what to do with them all. I, I love it. I love having that problem <laughs> yeah. for once. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Speaking and it's of basement. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of um, uh, roster construction, talking about that, you know, just some perspective on the really the utter fluke that this 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 essentially five hundred team is even at five hundred, given the fact that Rick Hahn uh, backed himself into, fluked himself into Johnny Cueto, let's face it, because um, Cueto clearly, all right, was, would have a sense, took a pass on the White Sox offer. I'm guessing he they got, uh, he, he, that Hahn sent a Velasquez-esque 
uh, offer to Cueto and Cueto said, no, I think I can do, do better. Uh, and then now Elvis Andrus, who, yeah, I mean, the, the two free agent, the two acquisitions period, uh, that have really paid off for the, the, the White Sox, you know, really were both, I mean, it's, it speaks a lot to the front office incompetence that really they sort of tripped into the two guys who've really provided positive value for the team, uh, versus, um, the field, <laughs> all the other guys. Well, it's just, I want to try and give Han credit for these things. But these aren't things he did. Like, first yeah. off, they were both so strikingly obvious. Every person watching, when when Lance Lynn got injured, mm-hmm. everybody said, "Well, you got to go out and you got to get Cueto because you 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 real your staff's really going to be hurting without those innings from Lynn. You need another veteran arm in there." And it was so obvious. And you want to give him credit for going out and getting the guy, which great. He went out and got a guy that they obviously needed. But think about it. If Lance Lynn didn't get hurt in spring training, we'd be looking at like Vince Velasquez yep. as as a regular starter on this roster. Yep. Because he wouldn't have because Han wouldn't have felt the necessity mm-hmm. to get another arm. And it's the same with Andrews, where Andrews just fell into your lap. And the only reason they bothered to even pick up Andrews was because Tim Anderson is hurt. And I'll be honest, if Tim Anderson were not hurt, I would still have wanted them to go get Elvis Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. And you can imagine, and then you can imagine if Tim Anderson's not, um, if he's hundred percent, that's not happening because, you know, the White Sox will mix and match. Uh, and they do have semi, you know, uh, legit, you know, guys like, uh, uh, you know, Romy, et cetera, um, to call up. But it's, of course, that wouldn't be the same. Even if this is the best case scenario with uh, Elvis, um, it's just not the same because you're talking then about ex- experience, playoff, World Series experience, and, and you're talking about a guy who is a known producer. And as you said, even on the verge of coming to the White Sox, wasn't exactly uh, playing his way out. He didn't get cut by Oakland because he was playing poorly. So, I mean, that that alone makes it somewhat unique, you know, as well. That really was just the you know, the, the cost cutting move and the, and the white Sox being in the right place at the right time to the point where they probably had the honors jerseys up in the you know, grandstand center before the actual announcement even was, it was, that was so obvious. That was even more obvious uh, than, than Cueto. It's like, where else is there a match? Uh, who else would take advantage of the savings of minimum salary? And that just screams white Sox. Well, and there's something you can doubly thank Oakland for, because it's not just the fact that, they released him and made him available that the White Sox could just snap him up for like next to nothing. But they, Andrews is playing with a purpose now because he's missed because he was on Mm -hmm. tape for a vesting option Mm -hmm. for 2023, I think for like $15 million. And that did not transfer over. Like that's, that's gone away with his release. So he's pissed and he's, he's playing pissed and it shows and the White Sox are just the recipients of that benefit. So thanks, Oakland, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trooper, let's take a, a break. We're going to uh, we're going to um, uh, board the interplanetary space device and arrive. Oh, my God. You want to talk about an alien land? We're going to arrive in Alabama and talk a little bit about the uh, miners briefly before we get back to uh, gazing into the crystal ball with the White Sox. Uh, stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, White Sox fans, it is the debut of Planet White Sox. Welcome. Welcome, White Sox fans and other Earthlings to this foreign place where down is up, up is down. Although lately, things have actually seemed like the way they were supposed to play out from April forward. Uh, So September is our entire, we have to look at September as our entire season. And even that might not end up well, but we'll get to that toward the end of this podcast. Let's take a brief detour. It's it's, uh, all right, you know, buckle your seatbelt, but uh, we are in Birmingham and Project Birmingham now, but let's kick off with one of the uh, leaders, one of the uh, brightest stars of the Project Birmingham, the dozen or so Project Birmingham members. They get the special uh, members only jackets and stationery and better snacks than the rest of the Birmingham parents. Sorry, guys. Uh, but Wilfred Varis, a guy who you've been on and excited about uh, bat alone. But b- beyond that, uh, a guy you've been uh, hyped about uh, going back to the uh, AC- uh, ACL. Uh, he's a guy who got what you would consider um, premature, I guess, premature uh, promotion to Birmingham as part of Project Birmingham, and he has been lighting up. The guy can hit some real lasers. Uh, you've got to be excited about what you're continuing to see from Wilfred. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily wanted to see him up in Double A, but I mean, <laughs> exciting to watch. I've been I've been really optimistic, and I've been ranking him very high in my in the White Sox system because what I see in Varus is a guy. I mean, the only negative in his profile for me is that he strikes out a lot and he doesn't really have a position he can play uh like I think he can handle first base sort of and he's played third base but he's not good at it at all uh so you're looking at a guy who's probably a first base DH in a system and a team that just (laughs) just seems to produce that nothing but that and it's weird because he's not like a big lumbering guy he's actually a relatively uh athletically built like six foot one he's not over muscled he's not just like shaped like a barrel he can move I mean I think he's even got like six or seven steals on the season but he just does not have fielding instincts and I don't know that those are ever going to come for him but his bat's going to be what carries him and Varus does strike out a lot he does have some contact issues but what contact he makes tends to be of a good quality. Uh, I think he's got 20 home runs on the year now. And his raw power is something that I think the team needs to have him tap into more. Um, Like I said, he's not a guy who appears to me to be maxed out physically. Uh, He's still like kind of a guy who's built to move around pretty well, but if he's not going to play the field very much, or if he occasionally only plays first base and otherwise DHs, he should be spending his off season bulking up. Like when we talk, we joke about the 15 pounds of muscle thing, but in his case, I think he actually should be going that route because he needs to be going all in on his power. Mm-hmm. Um, because he can, he can slug to a point where it will paper over the strikeout rate. Right. Like he doesn't have a high, doesn't have a high walk rate either. It's not terrible, but he doesn't draw a lot of walks. I think he's got about a six or 7% walk rate, but if you strike out 30% of the time, that's fine. If you've got enough power to launch like 35 home runs and he has that in spades, 
he can hit absolute laser beam moonshots uh, that you look at him at a glance. He doesn't. He's not like a Mike or Adolfo where he's just a monstrously built right. dude. He's he looks like a relatively normal guy, but it's that natural power within his swing. He's got bat speed and uh, like power within his wrists and his forearms that really you can't get out of the weight room. Mm-hmm. And I think the more he goes in on that, the more he invests in his power stroke, the more he's going to be able, he's going to have a chance to to make it to the big leagues. Because and because in Birmingham, like the guys who are struggling, like Kath and Montgomery, um, like I think Montgomery is a better hitter than Varus overall. Uh, but he's struggling. He's a guy who has to adjust to what he's swinging at. He's not a guy who can strike out a lot. Uh, because he's, I don't think Montgomery has that kind of raw power. I think he's got no. good power. I don't think he's going to be like a, a 40 home run kind of guy. Right. But the reason Varus has got like a 900 OPS and uh, Montgomery's got like, and West Cath also have got like 500 OPSs in Birmingham is because Varus's power carries him all the way. Like he's striking out a third of the time, but when he connects, he connects hard. Mm-hmm. And that's all he needs to do is connect enough to to launch the ball a few times, and he's going to make it work. Uh, whereas Kath is not tapped into his power at all, and his strikeout rate is really ugly. Like he's striking out half the time in Birmingham. I I don't understand why he's there. Yeah, let's pull it back uh, beyond just uh, Varus, who's I guess a relative success story of Project Birmingham, and the concept on paper. And when it was announced, it seemed like wow. You know, I, I think you said it to me before we started. It's 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 great that they're you know they're thinking out of the box. Um, and and Darren Black and I have had some discussions about the um, the wisdom of Project Birmingham because when it's announced and it's we're getting a jump on instructionals and we're getting the guys together. We're identifying, you know, the, 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 the cream of the system, although these guys know they're the cream of the system based on their, their, you know, rankings. Of course, it helps. Any validation helps and getting that special, uh, um, golden boss tote bag helps. But, uh, you know, you're, you, the notion that these guys essentially were, when I, when I heard, read the announcement, I thought, okay, well, these guys are getting together. They're going to do a lot of, um, off diamond type work and not necessarily um, gameplay work. That was certainly my understanding because it didn't seem like the smartest move to just essentially promote these guys, some from low A um, to Burma. It's not as if all of double A was deciding to do this. So it was just going to be some sort of weird glorified low A against low A games. Um, there, these guys are playing, they're thrown into uh, the deep waters of, uh, of double A competition um, for, you know, a, a fairly extent. I mean, we're looking at about a, a month, uh, three weeks, a month of gameplay. Um, I'm curious on your take on, you know, I guess maybe sort of the wisdom of the concept. I can see the collegiality of it. I can see the, the, the honor of it. I could certainly see the instructional uh, aspect of it where you're getting your best instructors gathering. Uh, basically, everybody goes to Birmingham. It's some sort of spring training slash end of season thing. Run some guys out in games. Uh, but not necessarily just, okay, Colson McGrummy, you're a double A shortstop now. Uh, I don't know that there's a single pitcher in pro- among the Project Birmingham guys who are doing well. It makes me wonder if there's uh, even perhaps any damage that can be done, even in a short sample size to guys being rushed so quickly, given how delicately all of these players are treated. Uh, interested in, in your take on just the, the, the concept and then the execution of Project Birmingham. 
I appreciate that they're trying to be different, that they're trying to innovate, that they they know we know that their system has had a lot of struggles in the last couple of years to produce impact talent. And okay, fine. I don't understand why they think there is enough value in this to risk very important prospects on this experiment. Um, like if you've got, if you've got a kid who's like a very talented boxer and he's had a couple amateur fights and it's like, Hey, I think this kid can be something. You don't make him go pro and start fighting <laughs> top 10 talent right away. Cause all he's going to get is brain damaged. And that's all that's happening yeah. to, to these guys right now. Like, like, I feel bad for Montgomery and Kath because they're really being thrown into a situation that they weren't prepared for. They're not going to have enough time and they're, they're not going to get enough reps to really make serious adjustments. It's just kind of like, okay, we'll familiarize you and hopefully it doesn't hurt your confidence at all, which I don't think Montgomery's used to striking out like this. And Kath is, Kath is just getting absolutely murdered out there. I, I don't understand what benefit there is to t- your top prospects going out and just getting completely overmatched at a level. They, there's no, there shouldn't be an expectation that they were prepared for this. Like Kath and Varys are both 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Like it would be completely normal if it were another two years before they ever saw Birmingham, <laughs> that would be normal. <laughs> And they're they're just throwing them out there for God knows what reason and skipping high A. I mean, at least Montgomery played and succeeded at high mm-hmm. A at the time. But he, even with Montgomery, like if he finished at the season at Winston-Salem, that would have been normal. In mm-hmm. fact, that would have still been an advanced timeline. So I, I don't I don't get the benefits, uh, at least not on the scale they're doing it. I guess it does have the effect of, extending their season a little bit but allowing them to have like like they're not they're this is already a long season for for these guys at their age so it's extending their season but they're not having to play every day so it still gets them a few reps here and there and and that's nice i guess but i don't know that there's really uh i i just personally think that there's not enough benefit to outweigh the cost yeah, if this was even a Jose Rodriguez thing, if I if I recall, uh, he basically was promoted for sort of that slightly extended double A season. It was sort of like a, a cap tip to say, man, you just tore it up this year. We're not necessarily saying that this is where you should be playing and you shouldn't ha- you shouldn't take this week and go bananas and own it. Uh, the idea that they've got a month under their belt and it's just enough time to maybe have them question themselves a bit. Uh, makes this peculiar. I mean, reading between the lines, does, would it have made more sense to you sort of the way I was taking it, where it might have been more for the instructional aspect, for the uh, get together, you know, almost, I don't want to say ceremonial, like, you know, some sort of compliment to these guys, but something that maybe had a little bit more value. And, and we don't really know what's going on off the field. Obviously, there is some to begin with, there was some instruction because the, you know, the base running instructor and all the hitting instructors were there. Everybody sort of gathered in Birmingham to like sort of cheer these guys and say, all right, you know, hey, you, uh, you know, 10, 15 guys, you know, way to go. Uh, and and he, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, um, drills, um, maybe even discussing who knows, uh, you know, some offseason plans looking ahead. Uh, you know, but the idea that these guys essentially have, I mean, they've essentially been promoted to Birmingham. They're the, the, the bulk of the guys or half the guys in the lineup every night. And I would say half the rotation or more, uh, you know, are, are these guys, they're, they're, they are Birmingham Barons. And 
I don't think to a, to a man, you know, I suppose maybe the exception of Varys, uh, it's, it's working for any of them. And I, I just, I'm not like you're saying, I don't know. I can't see what the possible upside is to just even create 5% doubt in these guys' heads. I, I would have understood if it had just been Montgomery, because at least you can yeah. make an argument that Montgomery had earned his way mm-hmm. up there. He hit all the levels. Yeah. He kind of hit all the benchmarks. It's like, okay, Hey, we're going to give kid. We're going to give you a couple of weeks in Birmingham. You're going to play every two or three days and yeah. you're just going to, we're going to give you some additional instruction up there. You'll get a feel for it. Okay, great. Doing it with this many guys just is so unusual. And I, I don't, I think that it's caught doing more harm than good for some of them. Uh, I don't know. Personally, I would have just said, you know, just take these guys and throw them into, into a complex somewhere and have them keep working out and, and put whatever instructor you want with them at that complex. Like, I, I don't understand why uh, it, it, I think it personally sends a bad precedent too, because one thing that's concerning to me still about the minor leagues is I don't think a single one of these teams, a, a single one of their affiliates is even within 15 games of 500. They're bad. Yep. Yep. They're really bad. Now, minor league records don't matter in isolation. Like if your high A team isn't that good, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. You know, what is important is that you have like some impact talents across your system that are going to be contributing in the future. But this team has had so many problems with producing depth. And when you've got a team, a, an, an organization full of teams that are all losers and not just losers, but really, really bad losers. That happens because you are not producing depth, because you're filling out your rosters with guys who are ju- just do not belong there or just aren't very good and are not going to be very good. And it's really upsetting to me that we kind of don't take this into account, but these guys come up through their system knowing nothing but losing. Yeah. And I really wish that we would have these guys – come into the system not having been beat down by years and years of <laughs> of just like 2022 White Sox baseball over and over and over again because I mean I I mean who who likes like when I played Little League I didn't I played on terrible teams and I'm sure I contributed to that <laughs> but but it wasn't fun to lose all the time you understand you lose sometimes but when you're losing constantly yeah. year after year after year you you grow to not like being there. And I wish they'd start getting these guys more, you know, more of a positive feeling come on up through their system. Like they're a part of something good. Yeah. The, 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 it's a, it's a statement on how really almost uniquely awful they were last year that this year actually was an improvement yet. The teams are still so bad. I mean, they're no longer um, necessarily all like four or, or, or three of the levels worst in like worst in their for their level. I mean, that was an extraordinarily terrible 2021. And the fact that this is a step forward is pretty sick. And you look and you, you know, you read a minor league update and you, and you see the, uh, I mean, this is not an action. This is not a hard luck. This is not some weird uh, twist of Pythagorean or, or, uh, or, you know, really awful managing. I mean, these guys just have to, you look at the averages and the OPSs and some of the ERAs and they are just atrocious. And when, when I'm writing them or when I'm, when I'm reading, I think, 
Jesus, I mean, is this just sort of the way, you know, the miners is, and there's just a lot of guys who flush out. It's like, absolutely not. I mean, there's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's a reflection of the major, but there's, <laughs> there's are, a lot better players in other organizations are, than we are. Are you ready to be really depressed, Brett? Sure. Always. <laughs> I, I don't remember where I posted this, but I, but I remember looking into during Rick Hunt's tenure, cause he's been here for, this is this 10th season in charge of this organization. And I went through and I looked at, Every minor league season from their four affiliates, their four primary affiliates from Kannapolis on up to Charlotte. And that accounts for 46 seasons because they didn't have a season in 2020. Of those 46 seasons, I believe that they had that the four teams between them had 11 winning seasons between them. That is not good. Yeah, um, the last playoff team in the system doesn't exist in the White Sox system any longer, if I'm correct. I believe that would be our uh, beloved departed uh, uh, Voyagers. Um, yeah, great balls. Sickening. Uh, okay, listen, um, as would be appropriate for Planet White Sox, we are now going to hand over the microphone to Trooper, and we are going to we're going to cover the dates anywhere from in just mere minutes or hours from now where a huge uh, game of the season – will be played uh, in Cleveland, a game that if the White Sox lose, their season is um, essentially done because they will not be five games behind Cleveland, but really six, given the nature of the tiebreakers this year. Uh, all the way till, I don't know, however uh, far the uh, the time machine takes uh, a Trooper and I and you, dear listeners, um, uh, into the future and and maybe where this uh, where this team is headed. I'll let you start and stop wherever you wish, uh, Trooper, but uh, give me your take on things, I suppose, uh, just beginning today or through the rest of the season, then, and maybe maybe how we look into the offseason. Well, it's, uh, four games set against Cleveland they got coming up, right? Yes, but yeah, obviously they lose, uh, they lose today and, you know, the tiebreaker is done for them. Yeah, so... They need to win. They need to sweep a four-game series in Cleveland just to pull even, and that would be with what? A, how many games would be remaining after that? Uh, take four away from say nineteen, uh, fifteen other games for the White Sox, and I believe maybe seventeen, eighteen for Cleveland. So there you have it. Like they have to sweep Cleveland just to pull even, and even then Cleveland holds the tiebreaker, mm-hmm. and then from there you need to play better baseball than Cleveland from the rest of the way. And like they could even pull out a positive and go three and one, and they'll still be two games behind with 15 to play. There's just no enviable position for the White Sox here. Now they can build some real momentum. And if they keep playing with the sort of urgency, uh, with the sort of uh, motivation that we've been seeing out of them for about the past, you know, week and a half since uh, Miguel Cairo took over, then, okay, there there's some reasons to feel positive. But they dug, we we spent all season just like saying over and over again, they're digging themselves a hole that they will, they will not be able to dig out of no matter how well they play if they keep digging. And they kept digging. And, you know, they would follow up positive streaks by just, you know, dumping themselves right back down to 500 again, over and over again. I mean, how many times did we watch them throughout the season where it's like they'd get back, 
500, a game or two over 500. And we'd be like, all right, now they're back on track. And then the next thing you know, they're five games under again. Yeah. Uh, that obviously can't happen anymore. Like they can't do the, the, the wobble around the 500 marketing anymore. Like they have to take off and they have to take off now in this series. The, a, a split doesn't do it. A split doesn't do it. You, if you're four games behind with 15 to play, like that's that's not good. Like you can't because uh, then you're all you're hoping for is for Cleveland to completely tank yep. in the last season. Don't sit here and hope that the other teams play down to your level because we've spent all season doing that. <laughs> the results. Yeah, it's failed. And Cleveland has just six games left on the road. That's not helping uh, either. Assuming, uh, and I think it's a safe presumption at this point, and all the statistical models would back us here, Trooper, that the White Sox are not going to win the division, therefore not be a playoff team. Uh, how do you foresee the expansive future of the White Sox? I don't think anything's going to change. <laughs> uh, it's I, I can't even laugh about it because it's so tiresome. Uh, getting rid of Tony was an easy solution to so many problems and they wouldn't do it. He he basically has to practically die in order for it to happen. And I don't want that. Right. Wants that. But I also don't want him there because he's bad. In fact, he's not just bad. He's harmful. I don't want Han around. Han put this just total goat rope together <laughs> and he's going to be asked to come back to do it again. And he's going to be allowed to once again, like, do this patchwork job and, you know, make poor decisions, poor signings. And we can only sit here and hope he stumbles his way into, like, the next Garrett Cole or something. Yeah. Because he's not going to, he's not going to sign him. And, you know, Jerry's never going to change. He's not going to, he's not, he's opened up the wallet, but he's not going to open up the wallet in a way that'll, that allows, like, meaningful, top tier additions to be made because as far as he seems it seems as far as the white Sox are concerned they've already made the top tier additions just by extending mm -hmm. guys mm -hmm. and and that's our those are our top tier elite players and we don't have to pay 200 million dollars to get somebody who's actually good well the number seven or nine payroll got us a 500 season so that's certainly going to be jerry's uh argument and uh, you can't even say he's 100 wrong but i care uh, look, I've beat the drum about spending money for so long, but really, I don't care about how much money they spend. I care about how they spend it mm -hmm. and who's the one doing it. And I'm, I don't want it to be Rick Hahn anymore because he has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt through two separate attempts to create a competitive window that he can't do it. That when he's called upon to, when he's given money, and he's given a budget to actually add, he uses that money to bring in guys who just completely wet the bed, who are just no longer uh, capable of producing. I mean, we'll get a name here or there, but they never produce the way yeah. we need them to because they're just past that point. So instead of getting the Bryce Harpers or the Garrett Coles or whoever of the world, we're forced to settle for the Adam LaRoches and the Yonder Alonzos and the uh, AJ Pollocks and so on and so forth. Guys who are at the end of the road and just, or even a guy like Josh Harrison, who's, you know, nearing the end of his career 
managed to recover to have an okay season, I guess. But even Harrison's like a one more player. He's not a huge addition. No. And, and they, they, he has he has just not it, – it'd be bad enough if it was just like we, the only guys we could add are Josh Harrison types who are like one to two win players and yay, like at least we've got competence. Like, no, he's adding guys who are actually hurting your team by their presence. I mean, Larry Garcia was the only was the like the only three year contract that he gave out in the offseason to a position player, and he's the worst player in the league. Yeah. And we get him for two more years. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, friends, uh, listeners, consider yourselves privileged to have been invited to the inaugural edition of Planet White Sox. Uh, there will be future invitations. Uh, please earmark time to spend again out here in the universe with us. It's a sort of a scary place. There's Van Allen, Van Allen belts and asteroids and all sorts of weird, weird atmospheric conditions. But uh, we try to struggle through. Trooper Galactus is our guide, and uh, thanks, Trooper, for doing this. Uh, this is uh, this has been a fun start. Yeah, let's uh, get Tony inside of a Dyson sphere that's powered by his the despair he creates. <laughs> oh my God, that is very powerful. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Without uh, you listening out there, uh, we're not here. On behalf of Trooper Galactus, I'm Brett Valentini, thanking you for listening to the debut inaugural program. It's Planet White Sox. Come back again soon.